This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, I was hoping to make this show today a raptor-free zone, possibly the only one in the city, but I do want to touch on the question of economic impact. First, there is this business of so-called surge pricing, or what some people would call gouging. Is it okay? Yesterday, one of our news anchors, Maria Madden, had made an arrangement to go out with a group of friends. They went ahead because of obviously hard to get a spot at a sports bar. They finally found a place, one of, I'm told, a bunch of places, and uh, her friends called her here and said, yes or no, $50 minimum spend in a bar for a big group. And apparently that was the deal in a lot of places. So is that okay? And also, what is the impact really on the city? Because we've had the leaders of the Hotel and Restaurant Association and the Downtown Business Improvement Area, and they were big boosters. But according to an academic from the Ivy Business School, even though sports-related businesses may see increased sales, the effect on the city as a whole is negligible. And this whole thing will have no real impact on sales tax revenue, incomes, or employment. And that is apparently based on studies of events like the World Cup and the Olympics. So I guess the question is, is this whole thing overblown? Let me give you the numbers. 416-360-0740. Toll-free, one 866 740-4740. And right now, I would like to bring in Toronto City Councillor, former Toronto City Councillor, John Burnside, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner of Fleischmann Hillard, and a Conservative Strategist and former NDP MP, Andrew Cash. Welcome to you all. Thanks for joining us. Bye, Libby. Happy to be here. Okay, let's start with John. Is all of this overblown, and are we pumping up the economic impact that uh, John Capobianco, um, the economic impact of this? Well, it's an interesting question, Libby, and I always be- I believe I'm a firm believer in the capital market and supply and demand, and I think that you know obviously if there's uh, if there's supply, there'll be uh, there'll be demand, and, and that'll control one or the other. But um, look. You know, there's choice. So if you if you have to go to a restaurant and and you're obviously you know they've given you this fifty dollar cover charge uh, story about you know having to sort of a minimum spend, you could easily say to them no, no thank you, and go somewhere else. Now I would imagine that the restaurant or the bar that they went to was probably close to no Bank Arena. Uh, no, John, it was at College in Austington. Oh, geez, well within the catchment area then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if they went to a Tobico, then they wouldn't find they wouldn't have a problem, but. Uh, um, 
but no, I guess. Look, I, I think it's 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 not right to do it, uh, but I guess businesses, um, you know, feel that there's a lot of tourists who uh, would otherwise pay the fifty dollars and or at least you know spend more than the fifty dollars. But I've been in New York at times when you know, depending on the weather and the time of the season, a cab driver will come and they won't let you in the cab unless you're prepared to spend a hundred dollars. And you know, and if and if you say no, then they're going to drive off and and find somewhere else. So I think it exists. It's not right, um, but I think. People have choices, and they can make a choice to go somewhere else. Okay. Well, uh, again, like the the word was, you know, that if they wanted to get in somewhere, bird in hand. Uh, John Burnside, what do you make of that? So I have a little bit of a different take, Libby. I mean, emotionally, everyone would say it's not right. But logically, I don't have a problem with it in that if you are traveling on an airline, there's essentially surge pricing. Going to a hotel, the busy season, there's surge pricing. And certainly nobody ever complains on a quiet night when a bar runs a special or they have a happy hour. So everyone's okay with the discount when they're not busy, but they always have a problem when it is busy and they have to pay a a surcharge. So logically, I just don't have a problem with it. Okay. Andrew Cash. Well, I feel like I have to uh, jump in there and defend the small businesses of the riding that I once represented and hope to represent again. Um, you know, look, first of all, uh, the, from what I understand, um, your friends were asked if they were going to spend at least 50 bucks there. Uh, and no, they were they told were, they had to spend at least 50 bucks there. Right. And if they weren't going to, then they'd have to go somewhere else. You know, look, first of all, I have a great amount of respect for, for small business people who are taking the risk of, of running a bar or a restaurant in Toronto. I mean, this is a tough business. So, yeah, when there's a huge event on, you you know, you, you need those, those big nights in order to cover for the nights when there's two or three people in the restaurant. I don't think they're jacking their prices up necessarily. I think they were just trying to assure that they needed to get maximum uh, out of this particular special night. And I think let's just give these small business folks a little bit of a break here. I I don't think that's gouging necessarily. And you know what? There, there would have just as likely have been other bars and restaurants in the area that they could have gone to. And frankly, if you're going out uh, with three people, Chances are you're going to spend at least fifty dollars anyway. Well, yeah, that that's true, but I, I don't know if they were uh, trying to be on a budget. Uh, I'd like to give the numbers out again. You know, people, what do you think? Is that okay? Uh, and I don't know if I don't know if it, if it was widespread last night either. Uh, um, I I I think it I it may have been. I would imagine I would imagine that it was, and you know, there's a limit. To the good news, because if you're if you're in a restaurant, there's only so many people that you can accommodate. Well, sure. be, I would That's imagine the hotels uh, probably increase their their hotel room rates as well as a result of the uh, of of the influx of people um, um, who are not only locals who were staying downtown because they felt they were going to be partying last night, uh, but also um, um, others who have come from other parts of the other parts of the world to come and watch the game. Okay, well, I guess that that's something that will have to be sorted out. I mean, did the tourism industry get a boost? Were there more hotel rooms? It is, after all, June, and it even looks like June today. Well, by the way, there are studies out there that 
that show that overall the arts and culture sector brings in a considerable amount more in terms of uh, revenue, in terms of GDP, than our mega sports events in right across Canada, which is a you know something that I think would surprise many people. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, we actually got a note about that that here. You know, we were spending a lot of time talking about the Raptors, but it is arts and culture, which is our uh, you know wheelhouse. It, it really brings absolutely. in brings in more money, but this gets a lot of. Uh, Inc. That's why I'm asking people, and I'll before we move on to the next topic, I will uh, give the numbers out again. Is this whole thing overblown, including the potential economic impact? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And that's the question, people, is this whole Raptor thing getting a little overblown? I'd, I'd like to turn to other things, and, and this for me is a real head-scratcher, and I'm kind of wondering what the point is. The city of Toronto is back in court, taking the province to court over that move to cut city council to 25 seats. So uh, what's the point of that? It's done, the election happened, and I gather that even if the city wins— and it's a complicated legal argument, then the province can just do what they threaten to do and uh, invoke the notwithstanding clause. And John Burnside, you lost your seat in that election just be- probably because of the way the riding uh, kind of was was split. What What's your view on this? Yeah, I mean... I think it's a total waste of time and money at this point. I mean, sure, you can you can win the argument, but you you will, to your point, lose the war. Uh, the council, when I was there, we made the decision at that time to fight it in court. But now that we've had an election, council's been reduced to 25 members. I think it's time to move on. However, I will say, I, I believe the problem is that a lot of the councillors who voted to fight it in court were returned, of course, they're incumbents. So now for them to... to to backtrack and say, well, we don't want to fight. Nothing, the facts haven't really changed. The province could always invoke the notwithstanding clause. So they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. Probably the mayor should have introduced a motion to say, Let's, uh, it's time to move on. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Yeah, my, I mean, my impression is that the mayor and others are happy with this smaller council. John, how do you think it works? Yeah, I think so, too. And notwithstanding the fact that my good friend John Burnside uh, lost the election as a result of this, uh, uh, and we lost good people like him uh, on council. Um, but the, the the fact is, I think it's working. Um, I think the mayor will be the first one to tell you that it's working and that, that it seems to be, uh, you know, you know, the, the Meetings aren't going nearly as long as they as they are. So you know, it's just by virtue of it being city hall, the meetings go long. But I think uh, I think things are being done a little bit quicker. Decisions are being made a little bit quicker. Uh, staff don't have as much um, um, requests that, that they would in a 44 member council that they do in a 25 member council. And quite frankly, and more importantly, I think Libby Torontonians have moved on. Um, you know, it was a battle back then. Uh, you know the election was had. People uh, are now um, are now dealing with a 25-member council, uh, and I don't think any Torontonian wants to see this fight back uh, back in the public eye. John Burnside, do you think it's working well? <laughs> oh, it's- yeah, well, not not so much for me. Uh, 
<laughs> but I, absolutely, John, well, yes and no. John did make a good point that staff now don't have to answer to 44 and what would have been 47 members. Uh, I don't necessarily know that, I wouldn't necessarily say that the fact that decisions are being made more quickly, I think that's a bit of a red herring. Uh, you know, whether it's a two and a half day council meeting or a three day council meeting, that that's very much inconsequential. The biggest problem with city council when they said things decisions weren't being made, it was that they were made and then they were changed. Uh, you know, so uh, Doug, uh, sorry, Rob Ford, or sorry, David Miller brought in Transit City. Rob Ford brought in Subways. And John Tory did something else. Had John Tory lost, I'm sure uh, whoever would have won would have changed as well. So it's this constant change uh, when you have a change of administrations that really has led to the delay in things getting done, not the extra day, half day in council. Uh, although, as I say, John did make a good point about staff not spending all their time just answering silly questions by a lot of councillors. <laughs> silly well, questions. Andrew okay. Cash, I'll let yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. Well, this is interesting. I mean, uh, with the greatest respect to John, I, I don't really get the impression, certainly where I am, that, um, that in fact, uh, folks in Toronto have moved on, not necessarily uh, feeling that, um, you know, that city council is, is functioning fantastically. Look, in, in my writing alone, there is likely over 20 significant developments in various stages, all of them needing uh, public uh, consultation, all of them ha uh, having, uh, you know, residents with significant questions, all of them uh, begging the question about transit infrastructure. These are complicated files, and that is just one part of what a councillor needs to do. And, and the fact that that you know, the city, city, you know, the bureaucracy isn't fielding as many questions. Well, does that not suggest that the, the voice of the people perhaps aren't being honored and, 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 uh, attended to because, uh, there's frankly not enough time in a day for a city councillor? Uh, I will also, um, underline the fact that you know, Mr. Ford said this was going to save money when, as we all know, that that um, that all council offices budgets increased because they had so much um, so much uh, so many more uh, constituents to represent. Uh, you know, I think this <clears throat> whole decision, uh, without putting too fine a point on it, has been an attack on local democracy. And the fact that my my honorable friends here are saying, well, you know, uh, you know, council staff aren't, aren't, don't have to answer to silly questions anymore. To me, that, that gets to the nub of it. You know, why is a resident's concern a silly question? And you go out there and you talk to residents about some of the issues that are of real concern to them and the frustration that they can't get attention and can't get action on things is palpable out there. So just to clarify, Andrew, um, I didn't say any resident's question was silly, uh, quite to the contrary. Sure, but, but, the questions but, that, that, but the questions that get fed to council staff are those largely that are coming via 
the representation. That's what a city councilor is doing. The city well, councilor is representing the community and trying to do the best for the community. Well, and, respectfully, you know, Frank, I was there four years, so I think I have I maybe a little bit better of an idea uh-huh. of what a councilor okay. does. Uh, respectfully, so you you can I just finish my point, Andrew? But can do you, you think just that a councilor can can properly represent? Double the amount of constituents that they had before. Can, okay, so let let if, with if you please don't uh, interrupt sure. me. I'm sorry. So, about that. Yeah, no problem. I'm, so I, I actually was was not in favor of the cut. So let's just be clear about that. No, I, what I So, but what I am saying is John made a good point. And when I say about silly questions, there were when I say silly questions, I'm talking about reports and questions when people aren't paying attention. There were about half of the questions. It seemed to me. Were, were just repetitive. There are a lot of good questions, a lot of val- value report, valuable reports, but anyone that's involved at City Hall would tell you that there was a lot of nonsense. Now, um, I think the point that you made, which is the best point, is that, um, in, in, is that every part of the city is different. So the area that you are in, or were in, I think is Joe Cressy's area, extremely busy and you definitely oh Anna Bylaw she's wonderful yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. very very busy absolutely Uh, unfortunately government is always a one size fits all scenario if you look I had a I knew a council I had a councillor friend out in Etobicoke who probably had about a quarter of the calls that I did Mm -hmm. and so where you are absolutely you need that representation where I was I would say the same thing we had development we had traffic we had all these other issues some parts of the city are like Sleepy Hollow and government has a very poor track record of addressing specific needs it's a one-size-fits-all and ultimately I agree with you just not on some of your points okay I just want to make a point to our callers please be patient I I noticed some you know giving up we are going to get to you on all these issues right now we've been talking about uh, the fact that City Hall, uh, the City of Toronto, is back in court against the province fighting that cut of the number of city councillors to 25. Um, I thought that ship had sailed. But uh, here on our panel, two out of three people agree with me, and Andrew Cash says no. Keep up the good fight. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free one 866-744-740. A couple of interesting things at Queen's Park. Uh, There seems to be a feud between Kiefer Sutherland, famous actor from a famous family. Uh, He tweeted to Doug Ford. Doug Ford mentioned Tommy Douglas, his grandfather. Uh, Tommy Douglas, the man who brought us Medicare, uh, Doug Ford mentioned him in a tweet, and Kiefer Sutherland shot back saying, please refrain from using his name. You, sir, are no Tommy Douglas. And then John Burnside, another tweet from Lisa McLeod. Yeah, she got into the fray and essentially said it was it's a harder job being a politician than, than an actor uh, pretending to be a politician. And look, I... I have no issue with the original uh, tweet from Doug Ford, and he was trying to to bring light to light the fact that you know if you want to save those programs, those social programs that are valuable, you're going to have to look at other areas. And you know he invoked Tommy Douglas, who who was a uh, very fiscally prudent. That said, what Lisa McLeod did is she essentially like I should say Kiefer Sutherland. His tweet was all. Uh, professional. He wasn't tweeting as an actor. He was tweeting as the grandson of Tommy Douglas. She then brought in 
it made it very personal and brought in his profession. And I think that's really beneath certainly a politician, let alone a cabinet minister. John Capobianco. Yeah, I, you know, I hate when these things happen, when sort of actors and, and, you know, Hollywood movie stars tend to tend to jump into the fray, especially American ones who are, well, I shouldn't say in the sense of, of Keita Sutherland, but, you know, I'm, I'm just talking You know, I think he considers those. himself American. I know, certainly, but I yeah. think, it's, you know, we've seen a lot of those who have come in and, and played significant roles in Alberta with respect to the issue of oil sands and the pipelines and, and, all, and trying to get into all of that action. And, you know, it, it just, it just, muddies the water and it gets people frustrated with uh, with politics in general and and the people that lose are the politicians because you know they'll always watch movies and they'll always revere movie stars um in in some way shape or form but the politicians are the ones that get um uh, they get maligned and, and get muddied in, in these kinds of fights but the whole line about you know you sir or no uh, Tommy Douglas, or you know, or inject name uh, that we've seen over the course of the last number of years. Uh, in this case, um, it just never gets anywhere. So I just, I just wish they wouldn't do it. I wish they would just refrain from those kinds of things and and move on to just uh, keep and uh, keep working on public policy issues. Andrew, and yeah, let the movie stars do their own thing in the <laughs> movies. Well, well, you know, uh, many people on Twitter uh, took uh, the premier to task over that comment. First of all there couldn't be a, a greater difference in terms of uh, political uh, core ideals than uh, Doug Ford and Tommy Douglas. Uh, and you know how Tommy Douglas achieved, who, by the way, was an NDP premier of Saskatchewan and then the leader of the NDP. And it's nice to hear some folks uh, talking about how he was well-known to be to being uh, fiscally prudent. And But one of the ways that they, they achieved that was by properly taxing uh, the wealthiest corporations uh, and making them pay their fair share. Now, that is not something we're going to see from from Doug Ford. I think Doug Ford was using uh, the 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 image, the iconic image of uh, of uh, Tommy Douglas to obscure really uh, the agenda that he has, uh, which has got nothing to do with fiscal prudence and everything to do with paving the way for privatization and uh, and making sure that corporations don't pay their fair But it is, was Kiefer, was it the right thing for him to do uh, to well, take well, on the premier? Sure. He's an American. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, listen, I think that, um, you know, first of all, Doug Ford spent many years working in the United States. I think he has a lot of American friends. Uh, I, I know he also thought that it was a good idea to bring Fox News to Canada, so I don't think that's the issue. I think that uh, listen, Kiefer Sutherland is the grandson of Tommy Douglas. Uh, I think, you know, his legacy is important to his family. I think family members have every right to speak out. And I think the point here is that many people spoke out about this comment, but because Kiefer Sutherland is so famous, uh, his is the one that gets uh, noticed. And I think let's, let's focus on the fact that Doug Ford uh, invoking Tommy Douglas is one of the most absurd things you're going to ever hear in this political cycle, where we've heard a lot of absurd things. Okay, so uh, we were talking about the Raptors games earlier, and in some of those Raptors games, people would have seen these really uh, quite something ads, attack ads, against Andrew Scheer, part of a campaign from a progressive group and it's called sheer weakness they're showing him as a bobblehead uh what do you think of that john capobianco 
Well, I think the unions are back at it again, uh, is what I think. Um, they are, uh, they've done it provincially for a number of years, a number of elections, and they're obviously engaging at the federal level. But, um, you know, one of them, uh, one of them is clearly a union. Unifor, uh, was the one that advertised, is one of the advertisements. But don't you find it kind of, you know, funny that they were back to back ads? <laughs> Unifor, and then right after that was the, uh, was the Engage Canada ad. Um, which uh, which uh, is another one of those third party groups trying to do it, but um, you know I think uh, I think uh, quite frankly the conservative ad was far more effective I thought uh, with the one that uh, that played up the whole uh, the whole Trudeau um, you know not fit or just you know not as advertised ad I thought was much more effective. John. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with the third-party advertising. And uh, I know in the States, uh, one of the concerns the Democrats have is that they're not getting out in front of the, uh, the, the, you know, the next presidential election, that the, the Trump and, and all his allies are advertising nonstop, and the Democrats are, are sort of worried about their, their next nominee. So, I mean, it's, it, it's smart politics on both fronts. And I think it also goes to, uh, goes to show that that people aren't so sure of uh, Trudeau being re-elected. That's what it's all about. If they thought he was coming back with the majority, the the Unifor and Engage Canada wouldn't be spending the money, but they're nervous. Okay, let's take a call from Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how um, are you? I, I'm a Ford supporter. I'm a, you know, like a conservative because um, I like things the way they were. And I don't agree with taxing corporations any heavier than they are. The reason, when you tax corporations, corporations, it's not like a person. It's, it's, it's a business. And that business does not really hold money. Any money that it gets in profit, it either goes to the tax department or it goes to the shareholders. And most of the shareholders in corporations are pension funds. So if you tax a corporation, who are you really stealing the money from? You're stealing it from the pension funds. You're, you're, the if you tax, and, you're not stealing. But, uh, Bob, have you seen those anti-Andrew Shear ads? Um, I'm a, I will be a, a, an Andrew Shear supporter because I am definitely would not ever vote for what I see in the corruption that we have now in the Liberal government. But... Uh, I don't agree with that. I People got to give him a chance. Um, I like what Ford is doing, and uh, and I like what Trump is doing. He's doing something for the the individuals. I want the country to be as I remember it, as my grandfather remembered it, as my kids remember it. I don't want. Good luck with that, Bob. The country has changed a lot, well, and it's changing yes, it all has. the time. It, yeah, but has it changed for the better? Uh, in some ways, I would say yes. I would uh-huh. say yes in some ways, not in others. Anyway, Bob, I get where you're coming from. Thanks so much for your call. Uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, but on the subject of these attack ads, I guess you'd call them, the other polls, uh, some polls are showing that the Liberals maybe have stopped the bleeding. Andrew Cash, do you think that? Do you think Trudeau is really in trouble? Hmm. Well, you know, I think anyone who who uh, says they've got the answer to uh, the, the next election, well, I think we we can stop listening to to that person. You know, four months is a long time. Anything can happen. I mean, who would have imagined that at uh, you know six or eight months ago, 
uh, Trudeau and the Liberals would be in the situation they're in. I can tell you, though, um, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of door-to-door knocking for the last couple of months, and I and I have been surprised at just how soft their support really is. And I think that in some ways, you know, when you when you project this image that you are are going to do politics differently, when you when you raise people's hopes the way Mr. Trudeau has done, and then you don't deliver. Uh, on your promises, and you also kind of show that, you know, you're just like any other politician out there. Uh, I think that the disappointment is, is, is even greater than just the regular, uh, you know, the regular disappointment people have with politicians. So, uh, I think that there, they have, you know, a lot of issues to deal with. You know, they backed away on some significant uh, electoral promises, many of which, by the way, were, were NDP promises, uh, particularly around democratic reform and the purchase of the Kinder Morgan pipeline for five billion of our dollars without ever once saying that's what they were going to do. You know, uh, they were supposed to be climate champions. Instead, they bought a pipeline. These are the kind of things that I think certainly for progressives in Toronto, uh, they're looking at and really scratching their heads and wondering, wow, uh, I thought this was going to be way different. Yeah, and, uh, you know, this is not a big thing, but a small thing. Yesterday, Trudeau announced this coming ban on plastics. And when he was asked what he himself had done in his household to cut down on plastics and the plastic water bottles, the uh and uh and uh, he couldn't quite figure it out. And then he finally said, oh, yeah, those paper boxes, but but he came across as somebody, I think, who was kind of out of touch. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I were Pierre, uh, sorry, Justin Trudeau, oh, I'd be firing, sorry. I'd be firing my advisors. Uh, John, John uh, Capabianco is an expert on, on, you know, advising people and politicians, and he could probably do a better job of explaining it than me. But certainly, you know, there are three, four, five uh, questions you know you're going to get at a news conference, and you better have the answers to them. And I'd say that was one of them. Yeah, I maybe I'm with uh, I'm with John on this. I, I think that um, uh, that you have a major announcement on the environment, you know, and I think that the Q and A's that one does, or the the briefings that most politicians, not least of which, of course, the Prime Minister um, would go through, would be okay. So let's do some let's do some mock Q and A's here, and what what the media might ask you. Number one would be, so Prime Minister, how do you uh, how do you uh, you know fulfill these uh, promises at home? <laughs> would be the number one question that would what you would think would be asked. So there is. There is some some issue there, but I but I also want to go back. Let me just talk about the polling, uh, just the, the issue you were just talking about. Um, and I tend to agree with Andrew on on a lot of what he was saying with respect to, um, you know, no one could ever imagine or, or guess what's going to happen four months from now in politics. A week uh, is is a yeah. huge amount of time, and uh, I would say that that you know the trend and the narrative are key indicators of how things are going to go. And I think the trend. The liberals uh, has been going down, and you say that it's been stopped, but I, I guess it, it probably has for a bit. Um, but also, the narrative I think has changed with Justin Trudeau uh, and what he came in and his hope and opportunity and optimism, and and I'm going to clean up things and I'm going to make the, uh, Canada a lot better. That never materialized, and I think people have seen that. And then things like SNC Lavalin, uh, I should say, issues like SNC Lavalin and and the, the, fire, the, the, the resignations of the ministers all played to a very negative narrative 
that has chipped away uh, at the prime minister, that has been slowly chipping away, that started probably at his at his Indian trip, um, uh, and just has gone has gone considerably worse over the course of the last year, a couple of years. That's the trouble, and that's what I think people are are are, are Andrew talks about the softness of the vote. But polls are always just a snapshot in time. Um, but but consistently those polls have shown him going down, and that should be troubling for the Liberals. Okay, and speaking of SNC-Lavalin, today uh, the CEO uh, announced that he is stepping down effective immediately, and that effective immediately is pretty unusual for a company like that. So perhaps there is more to come on that front. Uh, we're basically running out of time John Burnside, what should we be looking for on the federal election front? Well, I think the big point is who would replace Justin Trudeau. My mom used to say it's better to, you know, the devil you know than the devil you don't know. And we've seen from Jagmeet Singh a less than stellar performance. I think he's totally out of the uh, out of the mix and dangerous to predict, I get it, four months out, but I still think he's been very weak, and he's been consistently weak. He's not just had a bad press conference. And in terms of Andrew Scheer, people still don't know him. I think he better define himself a little bit better than he has, and it's not um, acceptable just to be against everything Justin Trudeau does. And Andrew Cash. Well, whatever's going to happen, it's going to be surprising, I think. And and different. I think this campaign, uh, you know, the, we haven't totally settled on the ballot question, obviously, uh, this far out. Um, I think the issue of climate change is going to be a bigger issue in this election than it ever was before and probably bigger than anyone's expecting it's going to be. <laughs> um, but the fact that, you know, the question of are people's lives different? How, how, has this government changed your life for the better? Uh, you know, are things better for you than they were four years ago? Uh, I think that's an important question. Um, and, you know, and I think uh, notwithstanding the, the, you know, the sort of prognosis on, on Jigmeet, uh, I think that he's got a huge amount of potential. I think he's uh, been improving. And I think we're, we're, we're proposing some really bold ideas that, that I see the Liberals playing catch-up on, the single-band plastic. Hey, we announced that 10 days or a week before, and then all of a sudden the Liberals announced it too. It, it's, uh, yeah. So it'll be an interesting campaign. I'm really focused on Davenport, which is where I'm running, and things are exciting there. Okay, well, uh, we'll be checking in with all of you again. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischmann Hillard High Road, John Burnside, former city councillor and business owner, and Andrew Cash, NDP candidate in Davenport. Thanks so much for that. Bye, Libby. Bye, everyone. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.